east side to the west. This is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we talk about all the sports in the land, golf, the NBA, and horses, all before another double shot of all ears. I am joined tonight for a busy night by two of the best ever. Co-host Phil Danko is here. Hey, Gerbs. Thanks for having me. You did it, buddy. Disney Parks Detroit photographer specialist Chuck Rambaldo is here. There's a Disney park in Detroit? Well, Chuck, the photographer specialist provides photography for weddings, conventions, and events all over Disney's world-famous Detroit property. <laughs> want to work at Disney World but don't want to live someplace warm? <laughs> Find jobs at Disney World Detroit on indeed.com i didn't know they had any property in detroit is it just empty property yeah. <laughs> like they don't have yeah. a theme car have, park there at all i have no idea it didn't the posting didn't say where it was but it was a disney oh. property in detroit and you can be the photographer chuck okay well I'll, look into it I'll, maybe I'll, you I might. can parlay it into a new deal at epcot center or something <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> let's get rolling. We'll start at home in the land with our Guardians week cap, recapping the week for the Cleveland Guardians. Well, shit, that was a dumb week of baseball. Yeah. I blame Guards us. Guards got swept by baseball's. <laughs> Guards got swept by baseball's worst team. Then had their weekend interrupted by another rainout, so they ended up splitting two games against a bad Tigers team. They finished the week 17 and 20 on the season, five and a half games out of first place. And it just seems like this is a team struggling to launch their season. They just can't quite get rolling. And we've talked about how the season was a weird start because of the strike. And the Guardians had in that April, May period, that two week span where they're going to play almost every day. They've probably also had, I think, five rainouts already they missed a game because of covid they lost their manager and the hottest bat in the lineup because of that for like a week is this up and down kind of disjointed start for this team a result of the schedule or should we put a roof on the jake <laughs> wow um i think it may actually be more the result of the the team that takes the field I, I we we've talked about this from the beginning of the season like you're seeing some young guys start to flash this year a little bit a lot of them are kind of regressing back to the mean so to speak like i i don't know i think there might be one guy over 300 now on, on the offense so you're going to have games and unfortunately it happens against a team like the reds and then the tigers where you're struggling to put runs on the board and you lose an extra inning game because you walk runs in and then you you go the, ne the next day you play or the next two days you, you play one game and you score two runs and you, you know and then you have that one offensive output in the week and, and that seems to be the the theme here so is it disjointed because of the schedule or is it disjointed because of the, the team that's taking the field? We've got a lot of inexperience up and down that roster. You probably can't tolerate a bunch of them going on in slumps at the same time, and you need a handful of them to be hitting pretty well at the same time. So, I don't know. Maybe getting Naylor back helps a bit going into this next week. We'll see. I was all in for a 100-game season before the strike, uh, and maybe you would have avoided some of these weather issues. But uh, what Phil's saying, you're talking about being consistent. I think it's hard for any young team to become consistent when every other game feels like a rainout. You know, they, they had a schedule that looked really rough where they didn't have any days off. And then when you have those things that happen, whether it was the COVID break or, or rainouts and you're playing doubleheaders, I don't, know, I don't know how you can become consistent, but should they put a roof on the Jake? 
I mean, maybe. I don't, <laughs> you could have more events there, I guess. You know, maybe some massive trade shows would come there. That would be good for the city in the offseason. I don't know. I don't know about putting a roof on the Jake, but I will say that I think that the schedule and the way it's just kind of bounced them around this year has to cause some issues. And I think we may have saw it today with Bieber because he was a guy in his last start pitched outstanding, comes in today, he was supposed to pitch last night, now he gets an extra day in between starts because of the rain out, comes in today and did not look sharp in the first two innings, maybe first two or three innings, and then all of a sudden settled into a groove, and he pitched really well for most of the game. It's a shame they couldn't have pulled out a win today, but... I look at a guy like that and say, man, especially with the starting pitching, which it hasn't been as good as we thought it would be, those guys are so used to their routines, so, I think, reliant on the regularity of pitching every fifth day. And when they don't get it, I, I can't imagine it's not somehow messing with their preparation or their performance. And so I guess, I don't know, man, maybe I'm still trying as hard as I can to be glass half full on this season and, and believe that this team can be better than they were last year but I'm kind of hoping that once the weather gets better and we start having some of these inconsistent schedules that maybe they'll get better we'll move on from that down note to another down note hats for bats not a good week for this fellas uh, Miles Straw was the leading hitter for the Guardians with any reasonable number of at bats sorry Ernie Clement who I think was two for three at one point sitting 600 right now but for guys with a reasonable number of at-bats, Miles Straw was a leader. He only hit 286. He had two doubles. His on-base percentage was 353. Owen Miller hit 267. He had four RBIs, and he hit a home run. Palacios, Jimenez, Mercado, Hedges, Reyes, Chang, Quan, and Molly all batted below 200 this week. So maybe that's the reason why we lost three of four and not the schedule that I just discussed. Yeah. Chuck, who's getting your hat? I mean, maybe Straw... It was nice to see it. I think he had three hits in one game, and I think he's he's not actually hitting all that great as of late. Six for his last 40, and three of them came in one game. That's not good from your leadoff hitter. But, yeah, I guess I it's not much of a choice this week. I'll give it to him. These are not great options. Owen Miller was teetering right on the, the brink of, of having a, a very important week because the, the bottom of the ninth home run to tie it up to send it to extras was, was clutch, right? So, yeah. so clutch hitting yeah. is great. Walking in a run in the extra innings, not great, but not Owen Miller's fault. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I, I think Owen Miller for for a four game week, he had a, he had a pretty good week. J Ram did all right this week too, but it was all in one game. I think the the one win of the the, the week. So it was kind of a weird, weird week. Owen Miller was probably the most consistent, and that only means he got hits in two of the four games. J Ram fit right in between Owen Miller and all of our sub two hundred guys. Yeah. He hit like two fifteen this week. And had some big hits, but you know, just there's just not enough offense week to week. I'm not giving a hat to anybody. This is disappointing. <laughs> I didn't even know that was we, an we option. Expected better against these. these... No hat for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. All right, let's move on to our K Jewelers Mound Gems. Every K begins with K. This will be the starting rotation edition because while we weren't scoring any runs, we actually got pretty good starts this week. Aaron Savali finally. 1-0 this week, he pitched a six-inning start, only gave up three hits, no earned runs. The opponent batting average against him in that game was 136, and I don't know if you guys were able to watch that game, but he, he was throwing some eye-popping curveballs, like stuff that you just, you, you knew when you saw it, like, whoa, 
this guy's really got it tonight. What I just saw happen on TV was was crazy. Uh, Tristan McKenzie took a loss this week, but seven inning start, gave up three hits, three earned runs. One of those games where he really only threw two bad pitches, and they got him both times and hit home runs off him on both of those pitches. Cal Quantrill, last one, got a win, pitched seven innings, one earned run, five Ks. Who gets your mound gem for this week? The mound gem for this week, I'm going to give it to Quantrill because he got the W, uh, and that was a solid start. All, everything you mentioned there were solid starts by those guys, but he went seven strong innings, gave up one run. Um, you would hope you can win those games, uh, and they did, and that was their win for the week. So he gets the mound gem from me. I'd like to give it to Brian Shaw just because he is now, other than Mel Harder and Bob Feller, pitched in more games for Cleveland Baseball Organization than anybody else. <laughs> that's crazy. Man, that's that's weird. Exactly. That, what, yeah, when I read it, I, I thought the same thing. This, is, this can't be true, but apparently it is if it's on the internet. Out of all those, actually, you know, like, if, I might pull a Miller here and, and just give it to Bieber for one reason. Uh, it, it seemed that he got ahead of hitters a lot today once he settled in uh, and had 10 Ks. For the sixth time in a row against the Tigers, he's had 10 or more Ks, which is great. So you would hope he, I'm sure he won some of the other six games, just not today. So I think I'm going to give it to him, even with, I think, what I watched today very quickly, it seemed like that fastball again is dipping below 90 sometimes. That that And if he's getting 10 Ks, I, I don't know um, yeah. if now he's just becoming a crafty veteran uh, or, or or what, but uh, to me, that's a, that's a massive achievement. I don't care which Major League Baseball team you're playing. If you get 10 Ks and you're throwing 89 mile an hour fastballs, uh, I think I'll give him his every K begins with K K award. Mound gem. Mound gem. Thank you. I'm giving it to Savala just because I'm so glad to see him have a quality start because he was he's had a really hard start to the season, and it's good to see him come in there and looked great. I mean, dominant. I understand it's against Detroit, but looked fantastic in that game. Well, let's put last week behind us because that was really disappointing. Next week, the guards go road tripping. Week starts with three in Houston against the disgraced Houston Astros. And once they're done there, it's just a short trip up 90 West to 480 West to I-80. That's the Ohio Turnpike to I-75 North. Then hop off at exit 49. You're in Detroit. For four games to close out the week. <laughs> Too much. Are they driving? I don't think they're driving <laughs> from Houston. To Did you put that in ways? <laughs> put it in the ways after <laughs> The guards have hit well at times this season. The starting pitching maybe got itself righted in the last seven to ten days. Is this the week they put it together? No. This should have been the week they put it together against the two worst teams in baseball. And it just didn't happen. I think they may surprise me this week a little bit, though. I'm hoping they may surprise me. But, yeah, I don't know if it's fully put together, but I, I think they could be 500 or maybe a little better. Maybe. Maybe. I don't feel good about this week. I, I, I'm hoping for one win in Houston, right? Like, that would be great. Uh, and then we have three in Detroit after that, you said? I, I got lost on your drive. No, no, four. Four in Detroit. Awesome. <laughs> 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 so, uh, all right, so seven games this week. If we get one in Houston and three or four from Detroit, that'd be great. But I feel like the FTL curse will be in effect. So I'm going to say we go one and six. <laughs> oh, boy. The recency bias of looking at this team every week. Yeah. We're coming off a couple of weeks ago. We we're all excited. And then this week was disappointing. But I'm, 
I'm not ready to phone it in quite that bad yet. I, I think you're right. I think probably one from Houston, two in Detroit. You know, you end up almost 500 for the week. Probably what they're looking at. But I'll tell you what, it's something to have Naylor back in the lineup. That may be something that gets the offense going. And I think as bad as his numbers were, Fran Mill hit the ball hard this weekend. In both games, he had balls that just, they were outs, but he hit the ball hard and he, his swing looks a little bit better. He did have the worst strikeout I've ever seen for a major <laughs> league player today. Uh, it was awful. So like he went up there just like, I'm going to swing at every pitch no matter yes. what happens. And three pitches later, he was going back to the bench. But anyway, let's wrap up our week cap there and hope for some better results for our guards going forward next week. But we got to jump into a surprise edition of Brown Movements, tracking player movement for the Cleveland Browns in the offseason, and media reports in Cleveland are out there. I don't know if it's actually been confirmed yet, but Jadavian Clowney looks like he's coming back to the land. In 14 games last year, he had nine sacks, 11 tackles for loss, 19 quarterback hits. The report is he's coming back on a one-year deal that's for a max of $11 million which I assume means the base is something much less than that, and then there are incentives that get him to 11. Are you surprised this deal got done at those numbers? A little bit. Based on the reports that came out today, he had other offers around the 14 to 15 mil range. But again, if it was a bunch of one-year deals, if no one's, if no one's giving him like a, a two- or three-year deal, which at this stage in his career he's probably looking for and probably won't find, right? Um, I, I could see the Browns giving him like a two-year deal where it's more of a, a team option, but they just went with the one year. So I was a little surprised. Uh, that said, I think he knows, let's say he's going to end his career in the next few years on a bunch of one-year deals. That means every year he's got to go out there and basically do what he did last year to command that kind of salary, right? So putting him on a Browns team for one more year on the opposite end of Miles Garrett allows him to go out there and hopefully produce like he did last year and then sign another one-year deal with whoever, uh, you know, for another, you know, 10 mil plus uh, going forward. So in this day and age, I'm always surprised when people reportedly leave money on the table, but um, I don't know who the other teams were, right? Like maybe he looked at that and thought, all right, there's no way, especially if they're incentive-based contracts, there's no way he would actually achieve the $15 million that they promised him because he'd be the best player on a really, really bad team. I guess the only thing that surprises me is that he usually waits a little longer before making a decision. It seems like the past couple of years, but at that price, I guess, I mean, there, we during the season, we told, there were certain games where he was definitely the best defensive lineman on the field. And he yeah. stayed relatively healthy most comparatively to his career. I know he missed a few games here and there, but I don't know if there's a better fit for that guy at this stage in his career. And maybe that's why it's a team-friendly deal. Like, he's playing opposite Miles Garrett. Uh, they invested in the offense. He knows, like, maybe this team makes a run. And Phil's probably right. The other teams maybe, you know, our, our bubble playoff teams are shitberg. So why not? Why not stay here uh, and play like an animal? You know, like, he played phenomenal. I was – do you remember there was a time where we were talking about would we rather have J.J. Watt or him? Yeah. You know, like, and, and we yep. argued about it. Uh, the Browns front office continue to make the right decisions. I'm, I'm glad. I Because I thought the guy played out of his mind last year. He's going to get a bigger contract. Somebody will give him three years somewhere. But play for one, why not? That's that's so friendly for this franchise, too, because maybe next year he doesn't play that well, then you're not stuck with that contract. So it doesn't surprise The only thing that, like I said, surprised me, he signed it this early. Yeah, I think another part of it, too, I mean, we mentioned the sacks in 14 games, but he was he – was, our best defensive end against the run by far. I mean, he 
he really attacks the running underrated yeah. run stopper i think yeah yeah i'm surprised that it got done at a one-year deal i would have thought that there were some good teams willing to toss two years and some heavy duty not crazy but heavy duty guaranteed money after at him after his season last year because it definitely was a comeback season for him he played absolutely fantastic and I, I would have thought he's going to cash in for the guaranteed money for a, a longer term deal of two or three years but hey this is great the browns yeah. better not suck next year they better <laughs> not suck man stefanski is in a heap of trouble if that team sucks because i don't know who else can they go out and sign is there anybody left for the browns to go sign at this Dominican point sue He's still yeah. out there. Yeah, there you go. Oh, great. Yeah, sure. They, I'm sure we've got something, cap space. Something that they came out today before they announced the Clowney signing. The Browns had the second most cap space for next year in the entire NFL. Like, how? what? I don't understand <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. So, like, like, Deshaun Watson doesn't count against the cap for some reason. <laughs> well, well, not next year, right? Because he's making like $100,000 for the whole year, I think. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, they could. They could rack this up a bunch of one-year right? deals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go get Brady on a one-year deal, just in case Deshaun Watson <laughs> to back is, up Deshaun uh, Watson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, enough Brown movements. I'm sure there'll be opportunities in the coming weeks to talk about that as we get closer to the season. But I'd like to look back a little bit at the Cavs this week because the NBA lottery happened, and not a real newsworthy thing for the Cavs because they were pretty much locked in at 14 they had almost no chance to move up but i didn't realize until after the lottery that this was a pick they weren't even supposed to have because this is the pick they traded to get karis lavert the Cavs got lavert and a 2022 second round pick from the pacers the pacers got ricky rubio the Cavs' first round pick which was lottery protected so when the Cavs dropped out of the playoffs and ended up in the lottery they didn't have to send that pick to them anymore the Pacers also got a 2022 second round pick and a 2027 second round pick <laughs> that we had gotten from Utah uh -oh. <laughs> so so the Cavs got Karis Levert for injured Rubio's expiring contract and one second round pick five years from now <laughs> who do you think was more sure that the Cavs were making the playoffs at the time this trade was made us or the Pacers yeah, I think the Pacers might have been more sure than us, which is saying something. <laughs> you know, like, all right, we're getting a we're getting a pick out of this, <laughs> and, and you know, maybe they know that in five years it's a really really good class for that second yeah. round pick. Yeah, so they're right. scouting they've sophomores been, they've in been high school. Right that's now. right. Yeah. Took my right. joke. It's great. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chuck, should this be allowed? Yeah, I mean, if if two organizations agree to something. I mean, you're a lawyer. You're, you're, you, you focus <laughs> yeah. on contract too, right? Like if, if it's a buy, yeah, like it should be allowed. It's not, it's not their fault, I guess, on either side. So yeah, it should, anything should be allowed, I guess. Why not? I just think it's so funny that we can make a trade and then take the pick back if it's going to be a good pick. You're going to get our first round pick if it was crappy, if it was, you know, like after 15 or something like that because we were out. <laughs> Or we were in the playoffs, we weren't in the lottery anymore. But now that our pick is good, you don't get it anymore. But we still get Levert, and I think he's still under contract for next year, right? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, man. That, Cavs, Cavs robbed the Pacers. And we might get Ricky Rubio back, too. The Pacers yeah, are going to come out of that deal. Yeah. 
<laughs> with, with a 2027 <laughs> second round pick. Sophomores well done. Sophomores beware. <laughs> yeah, don't go to the Pacers, man. <laughs> All right, fellas, with that, why don't we close out our at-home segment? We'll come back after a break, head out on the road, talk some basketball, some golf, some horses. Welcome back, fellas, to segment two. We'll head out on the road, start with the NBA playoffs and the conference finals. There have been five conference finals games played to completion so far. Only one was good, and that was because Jimmy Butler got hurt. So here we go. Bold prediction time, starting in the Eastern Conference. Heat took game one with a dominant second half. Boston took game two with a dominant both halves. Heat built a big lead and held on to take game three. My bold prediction, game three is where the Celtics lost this series. I don't see them winning three of the next four when two of those games are in Miami. So am I bold or am I a bonehead? <laughs> Before, how is how uh, bad is Butler hurt? Do you, is he he will not for... miss any time. Oh. They don't expect him to, yeah. You're a bone, and then you're a bonehead. <laughs> you're right. You're, that, you're not. Be, it's not a bold statement. If they lost the game, oh, here yeah. we go. It's I, I'm locking myself in. No, this is my fault. Uh, I shouldn't have asked the Butler question. I shouldn't have asked the Butler question. You're a, a bonehead because it's not a bold statement to think that the Heat will win the series. It's David Bowie, and we all know it. <laughs> Phil, am I bold or am I bonehead? Am I right or am so, I wrong? Yeah, I got you. So you. Uh, you're saying the Celtics are done, basically. Yep. I, I think again, it's a. Are you right or you're wrong? I, I think you're wrong, but so that you that is a bold statement then. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> see see where what we've done here. <laughs> no, I had no idea this was going to be this complicated. <laughs> it always sneaks up on us. I don't know what happens in this middle segment, but we cannot figure this shit out. I think the Celtics. Of course, they have a chance. Um, because they have a good team, but losing a game when Miami's best player was gone and then their backup players weren't really lighting it up, uh, that's not great. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a seven-game series. They can go in in Miami and win the next one, and here we are right back where they need to be, right? They need to win three of the next four, and two of those games are going to be in Miami. So, yeah, you're right. they got to take one in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I just don't know if I see them doing that where this series has been so far because the the heat were crushing them in game three until Butler got hurt. And then it became this thing where they had to hang on to get the win and ended up being a close game. I think they only won by five or six, but I think the Celtics needed that so that they could hold on to some home court advantage going to the end of the series. And they didn't. And I think that's going to be trouble for the Celtics going forward. Western conference warriors are barely trying and they're up to nothing. Bold prediction time. Dallas hasn't played a game at home yet, although they're playing right now and they're up by five. But no one's ever come back from 2-0 to win a series. I say Dallas is done. Am I bold or am I a bonehead? <laughs> I, I guess I think you're right. <laughs> so I don't know how to answer that. I guess it, it, you're bold. <laughs> um, I, I think you're right. Bonehead. So, so he's a bonehead if he's right? Because it's not I'm, the way I'm interpreting it. It's not bold for him to say that. So that makes him a bonehead. But I could be. I didn't set up. No, I got scale. you. I, I kind of slant that way. And I think. 
You I think he's on to something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we, hey, can we stipulate yeah. and take like a week off? Can we get that done? Like, I don't know what's happening here. I, Here's I think my thought. Dallas this is, is done. exactly what I said about Dallas against Phoenix and when they were down yeah. to nothing and they came back and they won that series. So can so, they do that again or are they, are, are they done? I mean, I think they, I guess they can't. I, I still don't know how Dallas is even in this series, you know, like matching up in this series. Like they made it this far with, Guys I've never heard of, but watching them play, like they're they've got good players. They're just not your you know names you hear on SportsCenter, I guess. But so I guess they can. I mean, tonight's a big game. They they got to win this one. Luca can take over, I guess. Uh, I I don't know. Like I I just don't see. I think we mentioned this before. Golden State has they just have so much championship experience. They're not going to let happen to them. I don't think what Phoenix let happen to them and whoever Dallas Dallas was down two to one in the previous series to that too. You you know, whatever. I I just don't see the Warriors, even if they drop this game, they're getting one in Dallas, I think. So I think you're a bold bonehead. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Can Dallas come back in this series or is this over because, you know, the Warriors have got a 2-0 lead uh, and they're just too good. Even if Dallas were to win tonight, I still think this series is over because of Game 2 where Dallas threw their best haymaker and still lost the game. When they're on the road, they were up double digits close to 20 and then lose by double digits. But, uh, yeah, I think you're taking your best shot there with a team like... We're not talking like Boston, who absolutely blew out the Heat game two and then then loses you know game three. I, I think there's more talent on that Heat team. I just think the Mavericks are a great story, and I really would have loved them to win this series. I'm not counting them out, but I think even if they win tonight, this I just don't see how they ever win four games against this Warrior team. Let's get out of here and just move on. <laughs> can, can we talk some USFL yet? <laughs> I promise. (laughs) Second horse race of the year that we've heard of was Saturday. The Preakness was run during the race. One of the announcers described the pace as not that fast. I'd love to see him out there racing those horses. What a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Horses in this race included Happy Jack, Simplification, Skippy Longstocking, all one word, Epicenter, and Creative Minister. But it was early voting, seven to two odds at the beginning, who won it at the end. Did either of you watch the Preakness? Nope. No. Okay. So. I didn't know. I had a garage sale, so I was <laughs> oh, recovering from that. Excellent. Yeah. That was my Saturday. So that was great. So if we picked the winner by name, not by speed, who should have won the Preakness? Oh, man. Skippy Longstocking by by a by a lot. <laughs> Chuck, are you, are you on the Skippy Longstocking? <laughs> Yeah, it's not even a choice for sure. I disagree. I, I think if you want to be serious about, you know, your horse being a winner, you can't name it something like Skippy Longstocking, all one word. That That's not a serious name for an athlete. Simplification or epicenter were good ones. Wow, that's that was terrible. more serious you, you sounding. Get to, you get to name a horse. You've spent millions of dollars and you get to name a horse and you want those names? Yeah. Come on. Whiz well, I don't want Skippy Longstocking. <laughs> I think that's a great name for like a horse to have like at your house for like kids to ride on. That's not like a champion horse, you know, you don't name it something like that. Anyway, we got to get out of this one too. This is going to be a weird night. 
Let's talk some golf. The PGA Championship, oh the middle child of golf majors, was this weekend. Almost most notable for who wasn't in the mix. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantlay all missed the cut. Tiger made the cut, but then went 10 over on Saturday and backed out and did not play in the final round. And so that left Mito. Mito Pereira, a player on the Corn Ferry Tour last year, started a Mito shuffle that would make Boz Skaggs proud, taking the lead on... Gerb, I don't mean to interrupt. That's a dynamite. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Boss Skaggs into a PGA major. <laughs> Lito shuffle. Anyway, the, shuffle. the Mito, shuffle Mito shuffle started on Friday when he took the lead, held it on Saturday, and he held it all the way through on Sunday until the 18th. When he put a ball in the water, walked off the course with a double bogey on 18 and finished in third place. The playoff ended up being between Justin Thomas and Happy Gilmore's first caddy, Will Zalatoris. Justin Thomas ended up winning. I don't know if that's going to be the story, though, because I really think this is one of those golf tournaments where everybody's going to remember the dude who lost because of the way that it it went down on 18. Hit driver when he absolutely didn't need to. Could have hit a three-wood and gotten onto the green. All he needed to do was par 18, and he would have won the tournament. What is it going to take for Mito Pereira, a rookie on the PGA Tour, to bounce back from a loss like that? I mean, I really like the movie Tin Cup, and it doesn't sound like it was that drastic. No, no, it was but nothing like that. But you're saying he he took he took shots he didn't need to to bounce back? I don't know. I mean, he's a, he's young, you said, right? He's a, he's a young? He's youngish. He's youngish. I don't know if he ever gets a chance at, a, at another major. If it's me, you know, I'm in that position. I'm doing everything I can. If you're leading wire to wire uh, to make sure I'm, I'm taking home that victory because you may never get there again. But to bounce back, I don't know, man. I don't think he's probably done. I've never heard of him before today, and I probably never hear of him again. So uh, tough shit. Mir- what, what was his name? Miro? Mito. Judge Mito. Mito Pereira. <laughs> he did win three times on the Mito. Corn Ferry Tour last year. What? So it's not like he doesn't have... It's a hell of a tour that doesn't get enough respect. The Corn Ferry Tour. Where does that play? Iowa? Is it only Iowa public horses? <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what advice do you have for Mito to bounce back from a loss like this one? Flush this one, right, buddy? Short memory. You get out there. You got another tournament next weekend, another tournament after that, another tournament after that. You're young. Play every weekend. Get out there and just keep hacking away, uh, Mr. Mito. This isn't the Corn Ferry Tour anymore. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think it's hard because I think golf sets up for this a little bit where if you're playing well one week, you can make a run at a tournament like this. And if it happens to be a major, then you're making your run at a major. But you may never get back to that level. And to to get there and not get it done. He didn't really play all that well all day long, but nobody else was playing that well either. To lose it like that, his swing on 18 looked like something I would hit. I mean, it went way farther than what I would hit. But, I mean, it was just, it was ugly all around. And that's a tough one to bounce back from because you might never get the opportunity to do that again. And it's interesting. There's a guy named Y.E. Yang who won the PGA Championship in i think 2009 he beat tiger on like the last hole guys never done anything since then um he won that tournament and and never came back from it you know but he's going to be remembered as a guy who bested tiger on the last hole of the tournament or something like that mito i think is going to be remembered as a guy who had his shot and lost it uh and that's that's too bad but denko you're right we do get to talk about the usfl thank god this week i think it's week six maybe 
<laughs> the Stars bested the Bandits. The Breakers knocked off the Sad Sack Maulers. And the Panthers continue to be a disappointment, losing to the Unstoppable Stallions. But I've got good news, gentlemen. It was announced this week that ESPN, ABC, and FX will televise all the XFL games starting in February 2023. And so this great news begs a series of questions. Answer whichever one of these you want. Are there enough players to fill out the USFL and XFL rosters at the same time? What do you think the third spring football league should be, should be called? Was Tim Schantz born 15 years too late and 25 years too early? Too late for the first USFL, but too early to play in one of these new leagues. Last one, USFL averaged 640,000 viewers in week five per game. That seems high. Can they sustain that with a new league? coming on at exactly the same time. Chuck, take it away. Any of those questions, the first one was no. 640,000 viewers sounds like a lot, but I'm assuming like a Golden Girls rerun at 3 in the morning probably has more than 640,000 viewers. <laughs> the quality. Some perspective, the NFL gets 17 million a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you said ESPN, Fox, and ABC all committed to XFL games? Yep. They're trying to make it trying to make this happen. They're trying to make anything other than the NFL happen. Maybe I just don't know. I mean, I, again, I'll do the same thing I did here. I will watch a little bit of X. I will sample the XFL and see if the presentation can be any better than I shouldn't say presentation. It's not like the presentation, the product, the actual talent on the field. When my team the Pittsburgh Maulers don't complete a pass until under two minutes in the first half. That's not exciting football for me to watch. So I'm hoping, you know, the XFL, the, the, I mean, there's... Were they running the ball like crazy? <laughs> Did they attempt any passes in the first half? I don't I don't think they had a first down till late Are in the second Are they aware of the either. forward pass? They were the wrong... <laughs> I mean, I, I would almost hope at this point, right? Like, why not just put on leather helmets yes. and, like, the Mauler should play as if it's 1920, you know, with ch like Converse Chuck Taylors on, no cleats. The forward pass is something new and rare. I'll watch the XFL because I watched it in the first incarnation. But much like <laughs> the first incarnation of the USFL, failed. They're all destined to fail against the... You just you can't do it. It's not... The, the talent pool is not like baseball or even basketball, I guess, because rosters are so small. I just don't see how it's sustainable. I'll watch it, but... You won't like it? Yes. Week six of the XFL, when I'm talking about whatever, like the the Rockingham or whoever you're giving me as my team I need to follow, <laughs> then I'll have to go, oh, shit, I should see if they won on Sunday before we record. But, man, yeah, I wanted to be excited about this. It just didn't meet half of my expectation. I, I'm going to ask answer the Tim Sean's question first. And I think if, if, we, get, okay. <laughs> if we get a – third even if we don't get a third league but certainly with a second league coming on and maybe a third league i think maybe he can suit up and play like i think they're gonna need guys on if he wants to do that we're yeah. getting there right like i yeah. think he can do yeah. that yeah. um he's a, he, maybe it should be like a over 40 league maybe that that shots gets oh, a shot man. and there's some some older nfl dudes but like is Terrell Owens over 40? Maybe he can bank that roster instead of saying he can play for an NFL team still. I really like the idea of a spring 
40 and over professional football league. So do I. As a rehab professional, yeah. I'm down with that. Like, I, 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 can, I think I can turn that into a private practice. Guaranteed stream yeah. of income for yeah. you, Danko. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I think what's going to happen here, the, all these leagues, the, the NFL, and maybe they're going to do this with the XFL, the NFL is going to latch onto one for whatever reason and try to try to build it as its G League, right? Like, I think it should. It should. You've got major college football basically serving that purpose as the minor leagues of, of NFL right now. But how many of these guys come from smaller schools and and kind of peak at later in their college careers or whatever? One of these leagues could turn into a G League situation. And then all of a sudden you've got kind of a, all right, here's our minor league. These guys, some guy flashes in the XFL. And before you know it, he's your, you know, starting inside linebacker for the Cleveland Browns because he's just, he, he peaked late in and played at... John Carroll or something, you, you know, I mean, that those guys end up in the NFL eventually if they're talented enough, but a lot of those guys don't get that next chance either, right? I guess the comparison is good, but how many G League games or minor league baseball oh, games? Oh, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm saying for the people who are trying to make a living out of it, it's a good thing if there's a minor league system. I mean, my my Philadelphia Stars just got back to even this weekend. Like, we're 3-3 three and three and we're making a playoff push here. I'm, I'm ready. And no one in Philadelphia cares and neither do I, really. <laughs> yeah. I just can't believe that there are really, really smart people at these networks saying our fans love football so much that we should have multiple spring leagues when the NFL isn't playing just because people love the game so much they're gonna watch it it's like it's impossible to fail when you put a football game on TV because somebody's gonna watch it or, or 640,000 people are gonna watch it I'm just not sure I buy it I don't believe that I'm, there is a saturation point for football and I think we're there with one spring football league I definitely think we're there with two and unless it's the 40 and over thing we're gonna be there with three <laughs> they should stop <laughs> we don't need any more football leagues but fellas why don't we take our final break we're gonna come back off the field and talk a whole bunch of music Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field in a double shot of all ears from the land. Start with Kendrick Lamar. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers released last week. Kendrick Lamar's stat line. As a teenager, released his first album as a mixtape named YHNIC Hub City Threat Minor of the Year, which is a super aggressive title for your first <laughs> album <laughs> slash mixtape. Hard to make a t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> He's won 14 Grammy Awards, two American Music Awards, six Billboard Music Awards, 11 MTV Music Awards, a Brit Award, an Academy Award nomination. And in 2012, when MTV was still in the music business, he was named Hottest MC in the Game. But the truly unique honor that Kendrick Lamar has won is his fourth album, Damn, won a Pulitzer yep. Prize, which really is amazing. Phil, give me your... Big picture take on Kendrick Lamar and on his new album. Well, um, full disclosure here, I, I'm a Kendrick Lamar fan. I, I heard his voice for the first time on an Eminem track, and I think that album came out maybe a year after his his first studio album. So I heard his voice on an Eminem track from like 2013. Uh, what was it called? It was called like uh, Love Game, which is a good song. You guys should listen to it if you haven't. Uh, and, and it's chiefly Kendrick Lamar. Like he is the featured artist on that track. And I, I thought he had such a unique 
voice and flow. So I went back and started listening to his album. And then, of course, he produced after that to Pimp a Butter Butterfly, which is my favorite Kendrick Lamar album. And then Damn and and good albums. This this man is um in in his genre like he's so different and yet so good at what he does. He's like really introspective. He's really honest. He doesn't seem to be trying to put on some sort of like you know, look at how much money I make, look at all my cars and my jewelry and all this kind of, like, that's not who this guy is at all. And he stayed true to that, and his albums are very different. So then go, getting up to the album he just released, the the Mr. Morrell and the Big Stepper, as you guys know, having listened to it this week, I mean, it's almost like, can we find any more uncomfortable topics to discuss in the course of 73 yeah, minutes yeah. of music? And that's what he does, and that's not an easy thing to do. And somehow he does it really well. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit, but there's some tracks on this album that there's some that I loved, I, I liked right away, and then I really listened to it and really listened to what he had to say. I'm like, wow, this is a great message. This is interesting. His take on on any number of of topics that, like I said, I mean, none of them are comfortable. And there's other tracks where I have to skip now because I've listened to the album many times, and I can only listen to the the domestic violence and the and and the sexual assault tracks that he talks about, like it. It's an important message, but it's a difficult song to listen to over and over and over again. But I think that's his yeah. point. Like that that's it. Like he wants us to feel uncomfortable during that song. Just as he wants us to feel his despair and then his fight to get back and his hope and all these other things in these other songs. And it so I think big picture, it took me a few listens, but I really got into what he was trying to make me as the listener feel. And in, in the background of all that, his his lyrics are amazing, and he has like that jazz piano kind of background music too, and he's done that on, on his last few albums, which is really good. So I, I don't know if there's a real like, hey, this is going to be a radio track on this album. I don't know if that exists. No. And and, and I don't think he wanted it I to, agree. right? Like that, that's not his purpose with this album. His purpose was I'm going to discuss some things that are going to make a lot of people, including myself, feel uncomfortable, and we're going to just keep keep pushing forward and. It grew on me over the last couple of weeks, for sure. So, Chuck, where does Kendrick Lamar fit in pop culture or in hip-hop today? And where does this album fit? Kudos first to you, Gerbs. I know we've talked about some hip-hop on this, and, and you say, it's not really my thing much anymore. You know, like, and, and for you to, to see this album kind of coming and go, this might be a big deal. And it is for somebody like Kendrick Lamar. So, so for you to kind of recognize that, I know me and Phil still live in that world when it comes to hip hop and, and, and listen to it very intently. And you kind of are just a passerby uh, to recognize that when this man drops an album, it's an event, period. Where does he fit in hip hop? I don't know if there's a, a hip hop artist today, even it might be any genre, who's taken more seriously than Kendrick Lamar. And I think you hear it on this album. Some of the themes of this album outside of the issues that he brings forth. And I'm sure we'll talk about it because I could probably talk about this album for a couple hours. I'm also glad that you gave us two weeks to give us a couple days. Cause yeah, because my first listen to the album was like, okay, all right. There's some stuff here. That's, that's toxic. There's some stuff here that makes me uncomfortable. There's some stuff here that, that as a white man in my forties, I cannot relate to, but two weeks later, it's emotional to hear that stuff. And I'm with Phil. There are certain tracks on here that I will, I'll probably never go back to again. But the more I listen to this album, the more I realize, like, what a shift he's trying to make, maybe, in hip-hop culture. For him to bring up topics that, if any other artist tried, they would be buried for it. 
they would be buried. They would not be accepted for it. To subtly call out certain rappers. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Kodak Black, who kind of narrates the album. This man is a, a human piece of trash. Uh, sexual battery, multiple gun charges, and he doesn't fit. There's no explanation why until I think I listened to it for two weeks and I have my own theory on why he's on this album. The darker tone of it is something that I'm not used to. I think maybe DMX early on had that tone where he it was dark and not evil, but there's just stuff that DMX kind of talked about that nobody else did. I just think you're looking at a guy who can, you could drop him anywhere in hip hop's history, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and right now, and he might be the best guy doing it at that time. I had no idea he was that important a guy. I mean, I didn't know much about his music before this album. Definitely didn't know that he'd won a Pulitzer, but that's crazy. Like, that's that's when you're... Yeah. Your music is crossing a line of popular, even crossing a line of an important piece of music in pop culture. You're crossing into a new space when you win a Pulitzer for something you've written. That's pretty cool. I agree 100% listening to this album with the with the honesty of it. Every song feels very honest and very raw of what this guy's family has been like, what his life is like now. I really liked all of that because this doesn't sound like a hip-hop album to me it, i don't know what it you would call it but it sounds like something more than that and sounds like something different than that what parts of the actual i guess the music of the 17 tracks on this album did you find was the best or the most interesting it's so different it's hard because i think you're right girl, it's, it's, there's times it's not hip-hop it's poetry or it's spoken word that's what it feels like or it feels like jazz the choir that's throughout the album, to me, sonically, was phenomenal. The tap dancing on the album, if you caught that, to me is a metaphor in one or two yeah. different ways. He's the first guy in a long time that I listen so intently to an album because the way he uses his voice as an instrument, where he's soft and then aggressive, where he rides a beat that there is no beat that exists when he's rapping along to piano like or orchestra. It's it, it's so weird now when, when hip-hop has become so disposable in this day and age that somebody just stands out. And I think I would listen to him rap if there was no beat. Uh, but sonically, there are some things on here that tracks that stood out to me. And I said, man... It's phenomenal. And I don't know who produced any of this album. I have no idea if Dr. Dre did a song. I have no idea if Pharrell from the Neptune. I don't know. Through that process, I got to think that like his lyrics existed before tracks because it sounds like that to me. Usually a producer will send you something, I guess, and you write to it and then that. But this seems so backwards and different. And the themes of it match beautifully. Uh, he's a really deep guy. You can hear that. And to, to interweave hip hop with jazz and choir uh, it's not like it hasn't been done before obviously but in this day and age it sticks out so much compared to what his contemporaries are doing that he's he's almost untouchable i guess that's what it would be and a guy who who is so celebrated that he's kind of like like taylor swift or beyonce fans like they can do no wrong and i'm not saying like this album is perfect it's not there there are tracks on here that are probably stiffs or clunkers or whatever, but there's breakthroughs on here. And that's what I listen to the most, I guess, uh, sonically. Listen to his lyrics more than I did the actual track. And that's different for me when it comes to hip hop. I really, uh, you, you guys kind of hit on it already. I really felt like I was listening to a poet recite poetry 
and there happened to be some musical background to a lot of these tracks. Like, I feel like you could take the lyrics out, but the music was just as important for a lot of them. And I, I'll start with the, the first track on the album, the United in Grief. It starts with that falsetto, that, you know, that high pitch. Halfway through the album, in one of my favorite songs and count me out it starts the exact same way if you play those two songs back to back it's a continuation of the yeah. same story with that falsetto intro to the to the track and both tracks are fairly long too so there's some spoken word in there so sonically it it, it really like the album like it really got you thinking about like wow what's what what is the what's the picture he's trying to paint here Sometime before this album was released, and this was one of the most anticipated releases forever, like it was supposed to come out a year ago, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff, right? Sometime more recently, he released a video and a song that isn't even on the album, and it's called The Heart Part 5. He raps, it's called The Heart Part 5, and he raps in a rhythm like a heartbeat. And then when you watch the video, his head movements, and he morphs into all sorts of controversial figures in today's society and these kind of things. And the video is his movement, his head movement is a heartbeat. I'm like, this guy is an artist through and through. Like it is just, this is one of those yeah. albums that I think, I don't know if I can listen to it enough and, and really like you'll, you'll hear something new every time or, or you'll, you'll have a different thought pop into your head based on what he's trying to say. So, but from a musical perspective, I, I really like like Kendrick Lamar does. He has such an, a unique voice his pacing changes from track to track. He brings a lot of piano and jazz into his music. So all of that is great background for what ultimately be might be some of the best contemporary poetry. Not just throughout the course of the entire album, but actually in songs, he was changing tempos. He was using different inst instruments. There's one of the songs begins with like a doo-wop singing at the very beginning. A Silent Hill is the name of the song. Uh, I love the piano throughout it. It's just a really interesting, diverse walk through the album from beginning to end that, I, like I said, that's why it doesn't feel like a hip hop album to me. There's too many other things, other kinds of music mixed in with what he's doing. Um, we could talk about this for a long time, but we got another one that we have to do. So uh, best song on the album. Oh man, that's hard. Uh, that is hard with what 18 tracks and the, my favorite that I keep going back to is is Count Me Out. I, just listening to the lyrics, I, I really think it was, like, like you said, it was brutally honest. Uh, it was one of those things where Kendrick Lamar was talking about, like, learning to love and forgive himself before he could love and forgive others. And like, it's not, it, 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 it took you through a, almost like a therapy session. It took you through one of what I would imagine might have been one of his therapy sessions. And it was that Count Me Out, like, I'm down. There, there's people who abandon you when you're down, and then there's people who to truly love you and, and, and are going to help you pull yourself up and get back to where you want to be. And he discusses that in this track. And, and, you know, it's such a deep themed track and all of them are. And it's, it's one of those things like, Hey, count me out. And I'm going to, I'm going to fight my ass off to get back to where I want to be, to where I feel good about me and feel good about you. And the people that I need in my life will still be there. And the people that I don't need in my life won't. It's hard to cut it down to one. I think Father Time is an incredible song. I don't care what genre that would be in. It is an unbelievably great song. I think Savior, for the first week I listened to that album, might have been my favorite track on it because it took him an album and a half to say, all of you, what you knew was coming from track one. It's nothing we haven't grown up with, right? Like Charles Barkley was the first guy. I am not a role model. That's a theme of this album. Do not look to me for all the answers. I think Mirror might be the last track of the album, might be my favorite song, because the way the track before it ends, 
with Mother I'm Sober, where you hear his, I don't know if it's his wife or his, ch- his children are speaking, thanking him for breaking that generational trauma that is handed down. And the response was, I choose me. And I didn't take it the way I think it's supposed to be taken. Like all of that stuff, like he's still choosing the worst parts of himself, which was unbelievable after he laid out that entire album. Uh, and it's almost like a therapy session. And I think, you know, like he's such a deep dude in Mirrors of Reflection. Listen to that song again and then put it at track one and it makes the album an entire different experience that he's already telling you where it's, you know, where I'm ending up is exactly where I started, I think at times. But uh, right now I think it's Mirror, but I think it might it might switch every once in a while. I had Father Time and Savior too, and I like Die Hard a lot. Die Hard's good. Just yeah. a good, just a good song. Yeah. Just a good song. Yeah. So real quick, bourbon scale, Phil, one to five. Oh man, uh, I I'm I'm a bit biased because I've I, I really have enjoyed this guy's career, and I yeah clearly I'm not the only one. I don't know that this is his best album, I and mean, maybe it will be on, on on future listens and and as they they kind of dive into it, maybe it will be rated one of his best albums. It's it's up there for me. It it it's not my favorite of his albums, but it's really good. So I'm gonna give it a strong four and a half bourbons. When we're done, we're going to have to talk about what the words real quick mean. Chuck, yeah. real quick, real quick. bourbon scale, one to five. <laughs> you got somewhere to be? <laughs> trying to add uh, depth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you almost have to with this album. I think it's a, it's a solid four. I think the subject matter is too much for a lot of the hip-hop audience to understand or to take to heart or to see what he's trying to do. Uh, but I think time will judge this album much stronger than we are two weeks after it came out. But right now, it's a four. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I really enjoyed it. I I liked all of the difficult topics he challenged. I just, because I'm not a big hip-hop fan, this isn't one that I'm going to be going back to and back to and back to again to listen to. Although I I did really enjoy going through it for the last week or so. So there you go. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's latest album. Four and a half, four and three and a half. Moving on to our second shot of all ears, the Black Keys. Akron born blues rock band released Dropout Boogie last week. Black Keys stat line the Black Keys are Dan Arbach, guitars and vocals, and Patrick Carney, drums. And like us, they've been friends since they were kids and got their big break after they dropped out of college together. Just like us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we made it through. they've won a total of six grammys and that's about it they don't have like this long list of other like random awards and stuff that they've won dropout boogie is their 11th album already has more than 12 million listens on spotify so chucky give me one word to describe the black keys new album dropout boogie one word (laughs) uh one word you can hyphen if you want (laughs) if i could explain it later uh, dad rock. No, I, <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Phil, what's your one word or two? Wow. One word. Um, how about, ah, it's not one word. This is hard. <laughs> I, I, you know what? It's, um, it's hard to follow dad rock. Is that hyphenated or is yes. that really one word? I chose the hyphenated. <laughs> Gerber said I could. Yeah. All right. Hyphenated is good. Yeah. <laughs> how about, um, uh, ZZ Beatles also hyphenated. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with on brand. Chuck, what's, yeah, what's what's good. dad rock about so there's a formula right and i don't it's not that i don't think i think this is their best album since el camino they have a formula it's always kind of worked for them uh and there's a reason why i really like them but you know what you're getting 
you're getting Dan Arbach's layered vocals at all times, and you're getting fuzzy guitar. That's, that's what you're going to get. And some blues influence in there. What I mean by dad rock is I can remember the, the first time I listened to Attack and Release, uh, and I heard I Got Mine. And it blew my mind. Like, two dudes are making this much noise, and it's a banger. Uh, and then I listened to Thick Freakness. And, and, and God bless these dudes, man, because they're, they, they're selling out arenas now. That's great for them. But this album, not that it's not, again, not that it's not great. It's safe. And a lot of these instrumentals, tell me I'm wrong. These can be backgrounds for Lowe's commercials where they say doers get things done. And you hear that chunky <laughs> ass guitar or, a, or like a like Barry Bob Seeger and the like a rock campaign and bringing these guys to sell Fords or Chevys. That's yep. what I mean. Yep. It's safe. It's accessible. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just kind of it's there. It's them. Both of you guys pick better words. The reason I went with mine is there were there were tracks that you could tell there was some influence, um, perhaps you know, by ZZ Top and, and the Beatles, I'll get back to in a minute. Uh, that was my first listen. And I always, when I listen to an album, my first listen, I always, you know, my opinion is going to change drastically because I'm going to listen to this album front to back multiple times over what we, we just had two weeks to do it. But I kept coming back to the same thing with the, the, the Beatles influence. But, but Chuck's exactly right. Like this is, if this is a Black Keys album, they, they stayed in their lane. They know exactly what they're doing. And they know they have a great fan base and we're going to produce a rock album that is 34 minutes long and our fans are going to love it. It's nothing earth shattering, groundbreaking, whatever. However, it's a good listen, right? Like it's a, it's a fun rock album. I didn't come on to the black keys until a little later when, when they released their first major album, uh, brothers, I, I liked it. And then I noticed, uh, my brother had shared with me a bunch of his music collection and he had all of the black keys earlier stuff. So I went back and, and listened to those things and then kind of came forward again and, so Chuck had mentioned this is the best album in his opinion since El Camino. I liked Let's Rock. I thought that was a good album. Like, I don't know. It was, again, it was one of those things that it was, again, safe though, right? It, like it was, it's a good rock album. And I felt like this just continued that. Dropout Boogie, much like Let's Rock. It's, if you like the Black Keys, you're going to like this album. I think kind of what I'm saying too, by saying it's on brand. Like if you grabbed a random rock band and said, hey, we really want you to make us an album that sounds like the Black Keys. This is the album that they would make. Like, this is just what, like, this, these songs sound like Black Keys songs from beginning to end. You, you know exactly what you're getting. I listened to it a bunch, and it was kind of a slow start for me, but the more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. I really, I really had a great time listening to this album. I, I really like it a lot. They're doing their thing, but I think they're doing a really good job of it. One of the songs is, your team is looking good, and the hook is, Hey, hey, over there, your team is looking good. Hey, hey, over there, your team is looking good. Your team is looking good, but not as good as ours. Uh, are these guys trying to make some sort of political statement, or are they getting out to the head of the line for the next Jock Jam CD? <laughs> <laughs> I like the Jock Jams yeah, callback. Yeah. Are they still making Jock Jam CDs? <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I think they're getting out ahead of uh, the potential Jock Jams 38 or whatever we're on now. <laughs> Chuck, what do you think? <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think there's that song and uh, Burn the Damn Thing Down, which is like one of the songs I don't like. It, they're like cliched, and that's fine because I think, What's going to happen is uh, whatever they tour this record, that's the song they're going to open up with everybody because, yep. uh, hey, yep. we're coming here. We're going to burn your city down. Great. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> it's not the deepest lyrics that you're talking about. So, jo man, I haven't thought about Jock Jam 
Jeez. in a Don't long time. But now I'm like, thing? are you ready for this? Is going to be in my head because it was on every chapter. <laughs> so I actually like the uh, Gonna Burn It Down song because I think I like rock and roll songs by rock and roll bands talking about being rock and roll bands. Like I like Turn the Page and stuff like that. You know, like I, I just wanted to hear that. All right. So what was the best song on the album i like how long maybe because it sounds a little different from the rest of the album it's it's down tempo it, it, it kind of sits there uh and i think the the way the vocal arrangements and the way they're layered sounds great but uh the more i listen to this album over two weeks it might be didn't i love you just because it sounds to me like anybody who can play drums and guitar can kind of play that record but when you really listen to it now they can't like like it's more complicated than i thought you know like this is and it, it's it's got a funk and a groove to it that they're that i really respect and love about the black keys uh so right now it, it's didn't i love you i like that the slowdown and the speed ups and the best part about these and you can tell most of this album was done in one take they they're like hey that's good they, they do one song like yeah that's enough and then we'll move on to the next one and listening to didn't i love you it sounds like that to me. You know, you can hear it. You can hear the imperfection in it. Well, I, what's interesting, so I, I alluded to the fact that I, I list, the, my first listen, the song that actually stuck out to me the most was Burn the Damn Thing Down. And I'm not saying because I thought, oh my gosh, this is a great song, but I'm listening to it on the first go around. I'm like, I've heard this before. Like, I've heard this beat. I've heard this rhythm. I don't, I couldn't place it. And I'm like, this, this exists somewhere in my music collection, in my head somewhere, right? And, and it was a... So I, I kept listening to that track and I've listened to that track probably more than any of them. And again, I'm not saying it's the best song on the album, but what I, what I realized is it belongs on like a 1968, 1969 Beatles, Beatles album, like Al, Abbey Road or Let It Be. It is, it's the same rhythm as they, they, the Beatles produced a single called, uh, I think it was Ode, Ode to John and Yoko in like 1968 or 69. And, it, and I played it back to, to front and I was like, this is, like this is the same kind of rhythm, which is cool, right? It's it's cool, but I I agree. Like Gerbs, I, I think that was like a it's a rock and roll song, and it was kind of a that's kind of the homage to the Beatles. I I think I like Baby I'm Coming Home. It's it's a good song. It, it I don't know. Like I I enjoyed this album. I enjoy every song. It's fun. It, it's not. It doesn't have the depth <laughs> that we just yeah, discussed no. with Kendrick Lamar. That's okay. It, it leans a little bit more towards, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talked about this with the Red Hot Chili Peppers album, right? Like, this is a fun listen. Like, I, I've i listened to it a bunch. It's 34 minutes long, and I'll listen to it front to back. But it starts with Wild Child, and the more I listen to it, well, I know Wild Child's their their massive release, right? Like, that's that's their radio it's a great track. Song. It's a great song. I think the fact that that's the first track, it just it just kind of primes you for this album. Like you're ready. Like all right, Wild Child. Like it's it's a great opening song. It's a great. It, it has great rhythm, and then it goes from there. But I do like Baby I'm Coming Home. I, I think that the, the the lyrics and that song itself kind of spoke to me. Wild Child is one of those songs that when you hear it, you know, like all right, that's going to be a hit. You, you just kind of hear it. And you just kind of know, like that's that's going to be big. It's not unlike the first time I heard Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms. I just kind of knew. That song was going to be huge. Great song, too. But, Phil, I'm actually... I'm Our playlist is taking a dime. I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I thought Baby I'm Coming Home was my favorite song on the album. I listened to it a ton of times. I thought it was good. All right, real fast. Bourbon Scale. When you gave us these two albums, it's hard to review them together because it was like watching Breaking Bad where they want you to feel uncomfortable like Kendrick Lamar's album. And then I watched New Girl after, and that's Breaking <laughs> the Black Keys album. Like, yeah, it's light. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's here. Like... A, I can turn it on and it's quick. Um, 
But it's a great album for what it is, man. Like, they're not reinventing the wheel. They are who they are. 20 years later, they're still a great band. And really the only rock band a lot of people talk about anymore when they release an album. I think it's a solid three and a half. I'm leaving a little bourbon on the table uh, only because we don't agree about uh, burning down the city they're coming to play next. So uh, three and a half. I really think we've got to look differently at the three and a half. I think you're getting an extra half of bourbon. You're not throwing half a bourbon away. It's like you oh. reached your limit and they're like, hey, yeah. here's a little bit more. That's the way. I'm not, yeah, the way three and a half is a, is a great score. Yeah. yeah. But, All right, Phil, how about you? I think three and a half is right there, man. Like I, I like this album. I, I would like to go back and I can't remember what I gave the red hot chili peppers album, but I have a similar feel to it. Like I'm probably going to be, I I've played that red hot chilies pepper album many times since we reviewed it because it's fun. Uh, and, it, and I'll, I'll do the same with this one. Um, three and a half sounds about right to me. It's a, it's a good rock album. It's a quick rock album. It's fun to listen to. I don't skip any tracks on it and I'll keep listening to it. Yeah. I'm going to go with a four. I really, really liked it, and it just felt like the more I listened, the more I liked it, and that if that continues, then it's going to be my all-time favorite album in like four days or something like that. <laughs> Goodbye, Gin Blossoms. <laughs> Boys, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now, and we just did the whole show without mentioning that 73-year-old Ric Flair will be returning to the squared circle for oh, one boy. final match on July 31st at the Nashville Fairgrounds. With that proof that my dad should be doing a lot more with his retirement, I hope you guys have a great week. Let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. Uh, Woo! Good, Doctor Bus. I thought we agreed. <laughs> I thought. If you give me a yeah. minute, I can we come could, right back. We I could can find change. a button. Down. I thought we agreed that uh, that we were coming tonight dressed as Doctor Bus, so that we could bring this look back. Yeah, I'm just thinking like chest hair. for sure. You like you like you like Uncle Jason's chest hair. Oh, he's standing up. Now you get the full effect. Oh, oh now look you at see that. it. Now you look, look at that. that. <laughs> it's good. No, he said no. <laughs> no. Got bad news, buddy. You're Lebanese and Italian. Yeah, you're yeah, power yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> you guys chances are high. <laughs> so is your sister. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, way oh, too soon. Yeah. You want to wait bye-bye? Can you say bye-bye? Yeah, you're going to go night-night? Yeah, night -night, you buddy. should go night-night, man. Dad's working. Come on. Dad's working. Yeah, Dad's working. Dad's working real Woo! hard. Come on. Oh, yeah. man. See you, dude. Dad, I'm getting all this shit yeah, for having my shirt. See ya. That kid's not even wearing pants. Okay, let's go. Sweetie, come on. Well, I just, he just soiled his pants, so I had to change the, <laughs> I changed the diaper. And it's PJ's time, so I figured I wouldn't put uh, pants back on all right, Derbs. So update update on. I like the way this looks, the man. Three across. This looks really cool, actually. So update yeah. on the on the. Is that what it is? I I, I switched off of it. Yes. And anything. So that that did anything series... exciting happen in hockey this week, Chuck? I mean, playoffs are always exciting, okay. but nothing like earth shattering.
so I got, well that'll do it yeah, for like ice this, time this from the land she <laughs> 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 just came up with that right now <laughs> that's awesome i that's like it uh, so this series is good because it's one to one. The St. Louis series is good, but what what the Tampa series is already three zero or some shit like that, right? Yeah, Tampa's real. I mean, they won back to back cups. Yeah, um, in Tampa, man, and, but, I mean, city of champions. Dog fight for them to come out of the first Are round. Kidding me? Yeah, four nothing. Go oil. Poor Ric Flair. Isn't he just getting over a stroke? <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? He almost uh, died. Man, yeah. He died. He almost died like two or three years ago because he's a yeah. severe alcoholic and his organ shut down. But and he's ugh. Maybe he well, wants to die in the ring. I don't know. Re- wrestling's <laughs> a weird like they just keep coming yes. back, right? It's it's like if you you have you guys seen the yeah, movie The Wrestler? Uh um Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. That's exactly yeah, what for sure. that like I that's probably like a truer depiction of that life than anything else, right? They just keep. Yeah. Well, yeah, what else are you going to do, man? No, no, right. This is like a like my mom's deciding to start wrestling. Like, <laughs> yeah, 73. I wouldn't and, recommend I love it. him forever. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's, man, 73 is no good. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. No. Yeah. Do not. This, um, do not. This, this Dallas Golden State game is getting, starting to get physical. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Two plays in a row that Dallas has been like knocking down guys from the Warriors. Of course, the Warriors are up ten. Uh, it's going to get chippier too if this if Golden State holds on to this lead. Dallas is just going to start yeah. trying to kill their guys. <clears throat> Boy, I got to tell you, we'll see. We have had episodes like this in the past where I felt like as we were recording it, um, it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And then by the time it goes through like editing and stuff like that, it comes out just fine. Um, but it's, I thought our episode last week was one of the best we've done in a long time. Like it just seemed like a really fun, Absolutely. like really good conversation the whole way through. Uh, and this one just, yeah, man, something I, well, wasn't there tonight. But you're right. Like there, there's been episodes where I felt the same thing. Like oh, we just didn't have the energy tonight, beginning to yep. to end. Um, but when we, when we do the music review, like just take that up, like those are some of the best, like they're just my favorite segments. Like, yeah, yeah it's like just to hear your guys take on it is, is awesome. Cause you know, music is, it's, it's a, it's such a personal experience, but then we make it such a shared experience. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. This, like the Kendrick album was so personal. Did you feel like it wasn't meant for me? Uh, yeah. You? Yeah. Like it, like. Like it was, it was, oh, you know, no, like it's, I, it's a, I, I disagree. there was stuff there. I, right. I think that there guy were certain is, things that I thought, mm. I thought he was, he had a lot to say, but he, he wanted people to, to have this journey. You know, like I, yeah. like that, the song that, um, about the fight, oh. I mean, it's not even a song. We it's cry together or whatever it's called. Right. No. We, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's um, so hard to listen to that. <laughs> Yeah. But I but I couldn't it's like a car wreck. Right. Like right. I couldn't stop right. listening yeah. to it. Like I could I kept yeah. on listening to it and just finding like, God, this is like first of all, it's such a real argument. You know, like you can just like they're 
saying it, horrible things horrible things other. like whether it was true horrible. or not like admitting to sexual <laughs> yeah. abuse and then it comes full circle to where all right at the end of this we're just gonna bang right like that's yeah that's what we're doing now yeah. because we have this same like energy like we've got this release of emotion and that's the next logical step that perpetuates this unhealthy relationship and it's again to, to speak to his genius like that there there were times where i felt like and, and i'm not, not just with kendrick lamar um as you guys know i'm a white man <laughs> who is 45 years what? old you yeah. are? does Spoiler. dad know holy shit <laughs> What was that from? Hear no evil, see no evil. You guys see that movie with uh, um, what was who was in that? That was Richard Pryor and uh, what's his name? Yeah, and uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You are a black man. What does Dad know? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean I'm funny? Funny like a clown? Here to amuse you? <laughs>